Hello folks, welcome back to Quartzile Wellness. We're back on Season 2. I'm your host, Brandon St. Croix, former athlete and current sports social worker. On today's episode, we're joined by Chris Baxter, former international professional hockey player and founder of Athletes United. Chris opens up and talks about his experience as a professional hockey player overseas in Europe, his experience as a junior hockey player here in Canada and the United States as well as his mission of developing Athletes United to bring a peer support lens to the athletic community. Thank you and enjoy. And folks, we're back with Chris Baxter, former professional hockey player and co-founder of Athletes United. Thanks, Chris, for joining us today. Appreciate it. So, Chris, like I said, you've played international hockey on the professional level in the USA, Great Britain, Austria, Germany, Italy, Holland. So, tell us a bit about yourself and your journey. Wow. Um, I'm from the Niagara region, a little town uh, called Bond Hill. Uh, I basically grew up there. Uh, was, um, you know, a, a star athlete when I was young. Uh, the, the little town isn't that big. Uh, so it was really hard to, you know, get noticed. You know, I had my trials and tribulations when I was younger. I um, turned 16 and uh, made the local junior B team. And that's when I uh, basically got noticed and from there, it was basically just, you know, Russian roulette, you know, dodging uh, injuries, getting being at the right place at the right time, uh, getting the right opportunities. And um, everything uh, was basically, is basically history from there. So how would you handle those pressures in terms of, okay, like I said, being at the right places at the right times in terms of handling injuries, in terms of, you know, making the right moves to advance your career? You know, it's funny. Um, I didn't make the right moves. Uh, you know, things happen for a reason. Um, I was very uh, immature um, at a young age where a lot of guys I was playing against and with uh, were much more mature than I was. I left home uh, at a very young age, uh, stayed in other people's houses. I didn't have the parental guidance as, you know, uh, most uh you know athletes do that live at home or other kids that live at home and it was it was tough because i was free i didn't have that structure yeah i had to you know conform to the team's responsibilities and stuff like that but i was hanging out with you know guys that were much older than me that were drinking and having a fun and i fell into that trap at a young age um and it, it, it psychologically plays a big role on you. You grow up quicker than you actually should. And uh, it's, it, it's tough. It, and you got to remember that was, you know, 30, uh, 32 years ago when times were much different, you know, times where, you know, you sucked it up, be a man, you know, uh, you didn't show weakness. Why are you crying? You know, uh, you know, so uh you you didn't have the the resources that are available now or slowly becoming available now and people don't they see it more for what it is now rather than trying to hide it 
you know, and um, so it was basically, you know, Russian roulette when, you know, making it to as far as I did, like I saw guys basically careers end right in front of my eyes, you know, and, but yet they were, you know, pegged to go uh, really high in the draft or, you know, they were going to have a great career ahead of them. And in a, in a split second, it was gone. And, uh, you know, how do you rebound that from that as like kid? But, you know, when I've seen that happen to guys that have families, you know, and, 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 and that's, that's really tough. So. And I can imagine already being a teenager is hard enough in terms of the pressures of growing up. But again, on top of that, in terms of, you know, people's careers is based on being 16, 17, 18 years old and playing junior hockey or taking the next step in terms of turning professional. What were some of the ways that was supportive back then or was there anything that you wish had been present? Yeah, there wasn't much support back then, if any, because, you know, you're not going to go to your agent. You, you know, you're not you're not going to go to your friends. You're not going to go to your coach. You're not going to go to your school teacher. Um, you know, most of us don't have girlfriends um, at that age just because we're so flipping busy. Uh, so, you know, your your network is, is basically yourself back then. Um, nobody wants to hear somebody with problems, you know, and, and that's just the reality of it. You know, if you express weakness, then everybody's going to think you're, you're a suck. Um, so you buried a lot inside. There was a lot of tough times crying and making poor decisions. Like I, you know, there's a situation where I quit major junior in the OHL my, uh, my second year I quit because I did like my first year I was top 10 in um, rookie scoring. And, um, I figured, you know, I'd have a placement, but because I was older, I didn't get drafted. Um, but the year before the the guys the year before me got drafted. So the second year came up and I, I didn't understand why I was on the fourth line again. And because now I was a veteran and I, I worked my ass off. I did everything I could. I was still scoring, but I was still on the fourth line. And finally I cracked. And I remember, um, Neil McInnes, who was our first rounder at the time, we were sitting in school and I, I just snapped. I got up, I called my coach, I quit. And he's like, and he looked at me, he goes, what are you doing? And I was just like, I, I quit. I can't take it. I can't take it. And so this is, this is the truth to it. Um, I remember after school, I went to the rink, my stall was empty and there was a garbage bag full of my stuff sitting at the door. And my heart just sank. I went home and cried. I found out a day or two later, no explanation from the coaches, the GM, nothing. You quit, you're gone. Not like what drove you to this, you know, blah, 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 you know. And, and, and it wasn't like I was a, a bottom end player. I was middle at that time, top end player. And, um, I, I found out a couple of days later that every draft pick by an NHL team, the NHL team pays the OHL team money. So the first rounder, I, I'm guessing probably $100,000. Second rounder, so much. Third rounder, so much. But what comes with that is, is now that the NHL team's paying the junior team for these draft picks, 
the NHL team tells them where they should be playing and who they should be playing with and how much they should be playing because now they're a, pro they're a prospect, whereas I wasn't undrafted. So I didn't know behind the scenes. I wasn't explained that, right? But to my fault, I didn't, go, I didn't really go ask either. So I just, I had nobody to talk to about this. Right. So there was no buffer zone for me. And that was a big mistake. But at the same time, I think it was a blessing because it made me realize what my actions created. And, you know, it made me grow up quite a bit. So, um, you know, we all, you know, sometimes a negative can turn into a positive, whether we know it or not. So. I can only imagine, like I said, the, the self-esteem kick to the guts that, you know, going to the rink and putting in your gear in a plastic bag in your stall empty. So how did you bounce back from that experience? Um, I had to dig deep. Um, you know, I was a bit of a wild guy when I was younger. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of fun and, and I was able to get on it. My following year, I, you know, we... We had a really good junior B team. Um, we were full of OHLers, and um, I, uh, I I changed my path. Um, I didn't look at hockey as like I was going to go anywhere with it. Um, I looked at it from a perspective of okay, well, I got to get my education. So I sort of veered off a little bit, and then I realized once I veered off that I was just. I brought to the table what a lot of other players couldn't. And I realized that I had a certain niche within the game that not a lot of players had. So I took that to my advantage and um, I, that's when I decided to turn pro. So, and it just, it worked out. Like I, I remember when I turned pro, uh, my first contract was in the DEL in Germany. I remember saying to myself on the plane over, I was like, Oh, if I play three years, this is going to be great, right? Well, you know, eight, nine years later, you know, from major city after major city throughout Europe and the southern states, it, you know, and injuries and, um, you know, uh, and, I, and I'm lucky. I'm very fortunate that I didn't, you know, sustain some serious, serious injuries along the way um, because everybody hears about all the success stories, but behind every success story is thousands of thousands of players that, you know, don't make it or never been heard of that, you know, have life altering injuries from a gladiator sport. And, uh, so yeah, it's great. It, us in Canada, we live and die by hockey. Um, but we also have to recognize that it is a gladiator sport, at least back then, right? Like now it's transitioned a little bit. It's still a gladiator sport, but they've taken the, you know, the the fear of you know having to fight somebody like my good friend growing up was matt johnson and uh we went to the same high school and uh you know there's there's uh i knew matt's matt was the biggest teddy bear in the world and uh you know here's a guy that uh you know got forced into a role because he was big and uh he was very tough um but it wasn't his nature and uh you know, you can see what, you know, the game could do to an individual whose path could have been so much brighter and better. Um, 
you know, money isn't everything, you know, he lost everything. And we don't, from what I hear his mom was in the store probably about a year ago and, uh, they still don't know where he is. So, um, but you know, there's, there's a sad story and, uh, but you know, in other countries, it's not so popular. You know, a lot of people don't even know what hockey is. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know, I had some good times and I had some bad times and my business partner and I, he also um, played pro hockey. You know, we, we said about two, three years ago, we were lucky. We were lucky to get out of it with education, you know, and uh, there's a lot of guys that don't make it out. And it's true because again, you hear so many stories of individuals wanting to make it to the show. You know, that's the, the only option is, okay, I got to make it to the show. But again, you know, if you're able to look at it and say, okay, you know, how can I set myself up in terms of education or set myself in terms of employment or business or another route outside of hockey? You know, those ones are lucky ones, but sadly, those are also lower numbers in terms of who's able to do it. The way the way I see it is, is I look at, you know, if I can help anybody, um, I look at a timeline in life. And you really don't know if you've made it or not until you're probably 2021. That's when you know whether you've made it or not. Just because you played university or college or whatever, to make it pro, you know, probably two or three percent of them, four percent of them make it. So if you make it, look at your window. So if you make it, you've probably got a seven to eight year life expectancy as a pro. So if you take that seven or eight years and you dial it down to your overall length of your lifetime, like it's not even a fifth or sixth of your lifetime. So you're putting all your energy into this such small portion of your life. You're forgetting about what's afterwards because once all the stardom and everything is gone, you're just another person. You're just another social insurance number. And there's very select few that are able to go into broadcasting or able to go into, you know, open up a business and sports and stuff like that. But, you know, majority of people just, become that's why when you a lot of them retired hockey they went back to the factories right in the old days because they were just and then they all you know want to tell their story to the guys sitting around in the lunchroom but at the end of the day they ended up where they were supposed to be but they had a small glimpse that a lot of other people don't have because they had that ability and that's what you know my new business is that I want people to put after hockey or after any sport before the sport so that when you go into the sport, you're not having to worry about what's after the sport that's already in place. And let's jump into that in terms of what, you know, those are some things we like to see different. Like I said, in terms of looking at an athlete's identity is more than just their sport in terms of the other aspects of who they are that as well. What were some of the other things you'd like to see different in terms of the sport community and society? What do you mean by that? In terms of, you know, what are the changes you'd like to see in the sport system or for athletes? Well, I think the biggest thing is, um, I think for me, everything starts at a young age. And, 
you know, 13 and up. We don't, a lot of people don't understand. Nobody knows what goes on to a car ride before and after a sport, you know, and that, you know, 99.9% of the time you're getting carted by your parents. And nobody knows what goes on in those car rides. And those car rides can be devastating most of the time. And there's a huge stigma to wanting to get help and it, it, in the sports industry. You don't want to show weakness because if I take my parents' generation, we still live in the old generation, us as, you know, I'm 48 now, but, you know, my parents' generation, we're still being perceived as from them as you shouldn't show weakness. You should, you know, just deal with it, suck it up. Well, that's slowly changing as, you know, I'm a parent, whereas I'm more sympathetic to opening up and being worse. We're still being perceived that. So society is changing with regards to the generations. Um, I think it will eventually be um, more open. Um, and it's just a matter of fact is, is that kids need, I'm, I'm a firm believer in, 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 in that the physical attributes to becoming an athlete are in no comparisons to the mental attributes to becoming an athlete is if you're not mentally ready or prepared, it doesn't matter how hard you work out, how, how, how hard you train, you're not going to be able to perform the, the best of your ability. It's just, it's impossible. And that's what we lack, you know? Um, and my goal over the next 10 years is to reduce that stigma within the community so that these kids can have an option to say, Hey, I talked to this so-and-so athlete and they're proud to talk to them, their guidance, but nobody knows why they're talking to them. That's where it sounds like from what you're saying, inspired athletes United. Yes. I went through some pretty tough times when I was younger and I just wish I had that one individual, like we talked about earlier, you know, that is not biased. That is a third party that has no monetary value invested in my career, um, has no personal um, investment in my career or my personal life that is basically sitting on the outside looking in saying, hey, this is what I went through. This is what you can expect. So if I'm going to be telling you that this is what to expect, then you can prepare for it before it happens. Whereas a lot of time right now with athletes, they're talking to people that don't have that experience. So, and I think most, most athletes can recognize that an athlete knows an athlete. And there's a certain respect level that us athletes have towards each other. And if you have no respect for that other person sitting on the other end of a camera or the desk, then unfortunately you're not going to get through to that athlete because to be honest with you when you look at an athlete a lot of a lot of people will view athletes as arrogant will look at them as self-serving um, but little do you know for example in hockey or many other sports that the reason that arrogance comes out is is because you have to fight for every inch of the playing field or the ice 
So if you're having to fight for every inch and gain that um, superiority over your opponent mentally and physically, you become arrogant because you have to be arrogant. You have to be able to think you're better than that other person. Unfortunately, uh, for a lot of situations, it transpires over into your personal life. But you have to have that dominance, right? So this is where I want to be able to take what athletes have experienced in the past and provide the information to our youth coming up so that they don't feel alone. And they're dealing with somebody that has experienced it. And it's, 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 it's a very unique concept. Um, it's going to be a long build for me. I know that I'm up for the challenge. Um, so yeah, that's pretty well nuts and bolts of it. And Chris, what topics will athletes United be bringing forward to the younger generation of athletes coming up through the ranks? Well, I think the, 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 the main one is, is, um, mental wellness and, um, and, you know, uh, just somebody to make sure, and we will guide, like we, like we will, we'll have many different categories. So for example, we're not only going to, um, deal with mental health, we're going to be dealing with career transitions. We're going to be dealing with education, sports injuries. How do you adapt after an injury, spiritual counseling, substance abuse. Uh, we're even going to deal with parents. Um, because that is my first and foremost, uh, one of my categories within Athletes United that I feel is probably the most important category before anything. Um, because parents, little, let alone parents know that a lot of the mental health that a lot of kids suffer from, yeah, it is inherited a lot of times, genetic, but also it can contribute by the parenting aspect of it. And a lot of parents don't know they're actually doing it. You know, they really don't. So you can't fault them. So my goal is to be able to, um, you know, go to the parents directly. Parents need help. Hey, my kid's, a, my kid's going this place. My kid's going that place. Um, you know, how, what should I be looking for as a parent? Um, you know, this is how, you know, how should I treat him or should special privileges or not? Um, there's, there's, there's a lot of things that um, I feel that the parents can do to help their child um, become the best they can be. But the, the, but the, the kids got to want it too. And the sad thing is, is a lot of parents put in their kid's head that they're better than they actually are. And that's the worst thing that you can do. You know, kids at the age of 13 are saying, you know, Hey, you know, a teacher goes up and says, hey, what are you doing? Well, I'm going to be playing in the NHL. No, no, no. What are you going to be doing? No, I'm going to be playing in the NHL. My parents, you know. No, you're not playing in the NHL. You might as well go down to the Avondale and get a lottery ticket. You have a better chance of winning the lottery. Right? So, you know, you put that in a kid's head at that age. No, you should be thinking about what career you want. Let hockey take care of itself. If you are meant to be a superstar your determination, your talent, and your will will get you there. But there's life after hockey, you know, and 
So that's where I really want to give the ability, the resources for us, for the kids to understand that. You know, it's funny. I was talking to somebody the other day, just briefly about the business I'm building and you know, who gets the worst end of the stick. And I think it's probably going to need the most treatment is the referees. True. And I, I, uh, I, I was thinking like these guys go through abuse every game you know and i was like because that's also coaches as well like every when it comes to athletes united you're not necessarily have to be a high-end performer our goal is to make you a high-end performer if you're not but it also applies to coaches it also applies to referees you know it applies to every category and it's just it's every sport it's not just hockey it's every sport you know, Olympians, you know, gymnastics, tennis, curling, you name it, because it doesn't matter what sport, the pressure is the same, right? And it's true because, again, it's one of those things that an individual's identity gets molded into that sport, and it's hard to see outside of that binoculars of, okay, who else am I, what else am I, what else do I enjoy doing, but once that sport's getting taken away, it's very easy to feel lost. You, you hit a good point is, is that when you're performing and somebody outside your circle talks about you, they always throw in your sport. You know, for example, yourself, Brandon, you know, oh, he plays this. Or Chris, he plays this. You know, Matthew, oh, he does this. Everybody always connects the dots to what sport you were good at. But you know what? When that sport's over, somebody's going to be like, hey, you know that guy that works for this insurance company or that bank or, you know, that sport's gone. Now you, now you become your authentic self again. And a lot of people don't like that. A lot of people can't. Um, what's the right words is a lot of people can't let go of that image and that feeling of being acknowledged and being so that's where you know violence turns into because people want to get noticed so instead of getting noticed for a positive reason they're now changed their attitude to get ready to get noticed even if it's negative right so if that's getting drunk at a bar and making a fool of yourself and getting into a fight, well, hey, I'm noticed. Doesn't matter, but I'm I'm noticed. Yeah. You know, criminal activity. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. You're looking you're looking for that adrenaline, that stimulus of being accepted. And Chris, how did you manage that transition yourself from finishing your professional career and moving into your next phase of life? Uh, I did it. I, and I think I meant like my expectations of myself, um, the, my style of play was very hard on my body. I, unfortunately, I fell into a category where um, I could handle myself, but I was big. And back then you had to, you know, I unfortunately broke my, my hands quite a bit. And I was excited, 
because I'm very business driven. So I knew, I knew hockey would only last for so long. And my heart wasn't, I didn't live and die hockey. I was just good at it. So it was a little bit easier for myself because it was like, okay, what's next? I'll be good at whatever I do. Uh, that, that's my passion is, is uh, whatever I do, I want to do, I want to be good at it. So I'm, I'm okay with getting noticed for other reasons, just not hockey. Okay. So I, I, I transitioned, um, fairly easy and I don't need the attention. My personality is, is I'm a, uh, I'm an introvert. I, I, I like being by myself. I, you know, I don't need to be, uh, so that, that was easy, easier for me, but at the same time, I didn't have my education. So uh, when I retired at 30, I first thing I did is, okay, this is my goal. This is my conquest. This is what I'm going to do. I went and got my DBA with honors um, in management at Brock university. And instead of doing a four year, I did it in three years and I went all the way around the clock, 12 months a year. I took six courses in one semester, whatever it took to get it done in three months, three years. So that was my new challenge. Right. So I, I don't, I didn't look at sports. I always looked at life, what life could bring me as a challenge. That's how I did it. And it's a great way to take that, you know, that drive and passion and be able to diversify it into any area of life in terms of if it means business or school or, you know, whatever that is, is being able to kind of still use those same principles and values you have, but not just silo it into sports. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think um, I'm going to, you know, my father, I, I'm going to really, my father never pushed me. And uh, he never, he, he was always the quiet dad. Um, so he didn't drill into my head that I was a superstar or this and that. He knew it. He just didn't, he didn't, he didn't have to tell me. Um, and I was always positive, but he never pushed the game on me. So it didn't become like do or die. Like I, I was able to experience other things in life. You know, um, I remember my draft year in the OHL. Like um, I remember standing outside uh, after one of our games. I didn't know my coach was standing there, but my mom had planned a ski trip to Killington. And we had two games that week that we were going and uh i said to my mom my mom's like you got two games i'm like i don't care i'm going to my coach was there and uh he overheard me so he called me into the office their next practice and said what do you mean you're going to killington you're playing junior hockey you just don't walk away and go skiing i'm like no i'm going right so like i'll see you when i get back you know it was that was my mentality is this hockey was on the same wavelength as everything else, even though I was really talented. So, And, and I think that also goes back to vision and goal for Athlete United, that it's more of a holistic approach to life. It's not just looking at it in terms of one stream. You know, Athlete United isn't just around mental health. It's, it's not just around career or not just around performance, but it's around injury, uh, you know, handling injuries. It's around bullying. It's around parents. It's around spiritual uh, counseling. It's around handling the social uh, pressures. Again, it's looking at it from a holistic approach, which I love around looking at athletes in that frame of mind. Yeah, I think a lot. I think um, 
us as society look look at athletes as in a very tunnel vision because at the end of the day like what are athletes what are we we're entertainers that's that's all we are we're entertaining and i've always said from day one what the people that in athletes who are the people that make the most money it's people athletes that make the most money are gauged by how many people watch them when it really comes down to it how many people watch you right how many people buy your sneakers how many people buy your shirts so it all comes down to being noticed that's how much money you make so if you're a guy that's not noticed well you're not going to make because people aren't watching you. So what are you bringing to the table if you're not being noticed, right? So you look at LeBron James. When he comes into town, everybody wants to watch him. You, you, you see the Lakers come into town. Why do you want to watch the Lakers? Well, because LeBron's there. So what do you do? You turn on the TV. So you got more people watching the game now. That's why he makes the most amount of money. So, you know, that's us as society – you know, we forget that us as performers don't, we, we have a human side as well, right? Like sometimes performing can be very exhausting, you know? Mentally, physically, and emotionally. Well, you, 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 if you're not an athlete, you're an actor. Because really, we are actors, right? So when you look at that, you look at people that, do stage performances you know you look at uh people um in the movies they're all actors right look at look at all the trials and tribulations that they go through the drug use the substance abuse the pressures you know they they deal with the same thing but just in a different category in a different industry and it's true because, again, oftentimes it's that mask is put up in terms of, okay, hiding who an athlete truly is because it's fear, okay, how's society going to look at this? How's my coach going to look at this? How's the draft going to look at this? How's the scouts going to look at this? Yep. So it's oftentimes it's hidden. Yeah, absolutely. It just depends on the it, like it depends on the industry, but, you know, you look at, like I said, actors and stuff, they all have agents, right? We have agents. <laughs> right so there's a lifeline to being an actor right you're in your prime or you're not yeah. the same thing with an athlete are you in your prime or you're not so um it's uh the thing is is what what actors don't get is is the physical abuse that's that's what they that's what can really wear down an athlete is is you're not only having to deal with the mental you, you have the physical challenges as well yeah. Because like I said, you know, even though there's some changes in the hockey world, it's still a gladiator sport in terms of, you know, that, that tough, you know, strain on the body day in, day out. Yep. You, what a lot of people don't understand, it's not an individual sport like tennis or gymnastics or something like that, where it's you against a mat or you against a little ball um, or golf. You, when you go to hockey, you have to psychologically defeat your opponent right so yeah physically you can 
defeat them if you're bigger, stronger, faster. But you also have to psychologically. And like that's that's where the warfare comes in because I I I remember playing and knowing some guy was coming into town and let's say for example I hit him from behind or cheap shot at him or lift off to him a month ago and now he's coming back into town and I know he's going to want a piece of me so two days before the game I can't sleep I can't eat I can't do anything because I know I got to fight this guy and it, it destroys your mental psyche right and once it's over it's great and then just sitting there before the shift knowing he's going to be out there and thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to get my face pounded in. <laughs> you know, that's what happened to Matt Johnson. Like, people don't realize that that psyche of having to go hurt somebody, and, and a lot of tough guys will tell you that. Like, it's not their personality, but to actually go have to hurt another human being for entertaining the crowd or shifting the momentum in the game for their team to win can do damaging toll on your brain because you're rewiring your brain every time that happens. And it's just for the appeasement of the people in the stands. (laughs) Like, so that's why I agree with fighting being out of hockey Um, because it's just for entertainment. Yes, us as players, can sh- we should be able to shift the game momentum-wise by our play, yeah. not by having some hired guy, you know, go out there and beat up another guy, and now we look superior and tougher. You know, it's funny because when I played in England, uh, my business partner, who also played in England, I retired at the time. Or no, did I retire? No, I was in Holland, and he he was in uh, Sheffield. And he told me that uh, they brought in MMA fighters. Yeah. So that goes to show you, like, they didn't even care about whether they could play the game of hockey. It was just about fighting. And uh, so I'm glad the the hockey has taken the steps they have to to eliminate it. Because it's not not on the, the, the other player's it's actually on that one individual that has to go out and fight, you know, you're changing his life, you know, and uh, it's not about the other players. And it's a great point about, you know, two or three days before the mental and emotional distress that is causing, that's all I never even thought about. It's hell. Like, honestly, it's absolutely hell. Um, Cause it's not my personality. Like I'm, I, I, I wouldn't hurt a fly if I, I just, it's just not me. And I, unfortunately I had to adapt to that. You know, I had to, you know, I had, I, everybody's got a switch, right? Everyone has a switch where if they're backed into a corner, the problem is, is I had to, I had to move that switch that was deep down inside of me. I had to move that to the forefront and use it in a game. And I didn't like that about what the game brought out in me. And, but I had to, because if I didn't, I would have got walked over. You know, I never played the game like that. I was very, but people also knew that, 
you know, don't stir the hornet's nest. So, um, yeah, it just, there's just so many side cases out there, to be honest with you. I, there's, there's a couple, there was one, there was one series, uh, one series I watched on, I think it's Netflix. Um, well, one, the Bob Probert story, that's really sad. Um, but there was another one about East, East coast, uh, hockey players. And I forget what it was called. Um, but it's about guys that fight to, you know, make their, and they're talking about making like $375 a week, you know, and, you know, having a kid living in a hotel room and then getting a phone call and you're traded to here. I got one last chance, you know, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. You're going to make what for what? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's either that in the old days, it was either that or you go back and sell cars at the car, used car lot. Right. So what would you rather do? Drop the gloves in front of three, 4,000 fans and beat up somebody or go back and sell cars. So. And, it was, and it was something just to keep, like said that, you know, if 40 meant okay, I'm keeping my spot on the roster, then, you know, if that was the only way I was keeping the roster spot, then people did what they had to do, even if it wasn't within their personality. Yep. And that's where it goes back to parenting at a young age. Because the parents are drilling into their head, well, they need to play and play and you're good enough and good enough. Well, if, if listen, every. I've always said, if you're a superstar at 13, when you become 16, are you a superstar? If you're still a superstar at 16, because your pool now all of a sudden starts shrinking. So 1% for every 1,000 kids make it at 16. 1% of those 1,000 kids at 16 make it to 19. 1% of those kids make it to the next level, you know? So your odds are very slim. And this is where parenting comes in because parents need to tell their kids that they're above and beyond the sport they play. They add more value to society than just a sport. Their identity should not be surrounded by a sport. It should be surrounded by who they are and what they can bring society in a positive way. And, and let the child or the kid figure out what direction he goes. Maybe he doesn't want to play hockey. Maybe he doesn't want to play golf. Maybe, you know, maybe he doesn't want to do any sport. Maybe he wants to be in arts. Who knows? Right? And it's exciting to see where that, you know, peer support and that lived experience piece from Athletes United will help in terms of, you know, help navigate that part. And not have that, you know, bias or that direct involvement, but being able to be there as that unbiased support and third party for exactly. athletes. Because, again, oftentimes young athletes, 13, 14, 15 years old, you know, being able to have someone say, hey, how am I going to talk to mom or dad or my coach around what I'm actually feeling? And having someone with experience will definitely help foster that relationship as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's one famous thing that, I always that I always say when it comes to ex athletes that have made it somewhere is is every one of them loves to tell their story. Every athlete you know, they if they don't know you, they probably won't tell you. But if they know you and you're sitting around having a couple of drinks or a cigar or even outside or you know going out for dinner, they'll tell you their experience because they're proud of it. So 
why not use a better platform and audience to tell your story to than our youth? And that's really kind of similar to how Corsair Wellness came to be was, you know, different athletes I knew who had a great story to tell that could be a learning platform for other athletes and say, okay, how can we spread the word, shatter the stigma so we don't shatter more athletes? And locally, there's been lots of athletes, they like said, who are open to saying, hey, you know what, here's my story, here's my experience, here's what I wish other athletes knew or, wish, or something I wish I knew at a younger age. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we're, we're going to tackle it from many different angles. Um, I like listening to, you know, many feedbacks. And not, the, the business plan, like every business, is going to have its twists and turns. Um, but I really do think that uh, the, I mentioned earlier that I believe we're on the ground floor going up. Um, and, uh, you know, and everyone's an athlete when they're 13. Everyone. Doesn't matter if it's soccer, tennis, everyone plays a sport at 13. So if we can get our, you know, our hands on those kids and give them the right tools and resources to allow them to, you know, dictate where they want to go, not where other people should want them to go. No, it's a great point there for sure. Before we wrap it up there, Chris, one thing we often do here around course side is what we call the rapid questions. So it's just quick questions. Yep. First thing that kind of comes to mind. Uh, for yourself, what is one word of advice you wish you could give your younger self? Oh, crap. Uh, there's too many. <laughs> um, I'm going to say patience. Okay. I've had another athlete say the same thing. It was kind of, you know, let life kind of come as it's going to be instead of trying to force it. Yeah. Uh, in terms of your own experience, like I said, you played in lots of different, you know, awesome places, Great Britain, Germany, Holland, in the States. You know, what's one experience that will always stick out for you? Um, positive or negative? Uh, I'll let you pick. Um, I'm going to probably say negative, um, was our, uh, infamous brawl in Nottingham against the Sheffield Steelers. It was very scary. And one thing was my favorite question I often ask is in your opinion, what makes a well athlete? Between the years, um, self-confidence, um, self-esteem, um, and, you know, it's, you look at it, I believe that a lot of it has to do with coaching. Um, coaches now just should not be X's and O's. They should be understanding what triggers, um, you know, an athlete. Every individual should not be treated with uh, one paintbrush. Uh, it has to be, have to treat every athlete differently. Some need a kick in the ass. Some need a pat on the back. Um, you know, some need just a uh, recognition of how talented they are, um, and to boost that self-confidence. And, uh, I believe everything has to do a lot with coaching. No, I love the answer for sure. Cause again, it's so true how, you know, every athlete is unique there and again, how, you know, coaches or administrations go about that has to be different as well. Absolutely. 
Chris, thanks again so much for joining us here at Course Style Wellness. Truly appreciate you sharing your story and look forward to hear where Athletes United uh, grows from here. I appreciate that and I appreciate the opportunity to talk. Folks, if you enjoyed today's episode and want to check out other episodes, check us out on Spotify, Apple, Audible, and Podbean. You can also follow us on social media at Wellness Athletic Services on Facebook and Instagram. If you have any questions or ideas for the show, feel free to email us at wellnessathleticservices at gmail.com. Thank you and stay well. Mm-hmm.